Well, good morning, all. It's, uh, it's a new day, and, uh, we're back in, uh, guess where we're back at? We're back in Philippians. Yeah, so we were wondering where we're going to get out of there, I know. Uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, uh, our goal this morning is to probably not finish the chapter, but at least get a good, an, an, another section done. Uh, I'd like for us to start reading in verse 10. So we're going to give the guys here on uh, Danny's table a chance to read something different today. And we'll go up from verse 10 through the end of the chapter. And uh, I, I really had to concentrate. Remember last, we, for a couple of times I've talked about, uh, a couple of weeks I've mentioned that uh, there's like three areas that we We'll, we look at we look at Paul's past, and we've done that through the first eleven verses. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's present, and the fact that he is an athlete who is going to be pressing on with with renewed vigor. And then uh, following that, we'll get into Paul's future. But uh, for today, our goal is to. Uh, is to tackle uh, Paul's present and uh, and the athleticism that Paul is going to display at least at least spiritually uh, as we look at this. So uh, we'll start with a word of prayer. Any anything we need to be uh, uh, need to remember in prayer for you today? Anything that we should keep in our hearts? Minds. People in China. People in China. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Who whose mother? Your wife's mother. Oh wow. So was it her, her hip? Ninety-one. Wow. That's tough. All right. Oh, wow. Alright, let's let's pray for the folks in China and um, of course there's all kinds of rumors going around about how that was caused and who caused it or what, what, how it came about. And there's real concern about, you know, them traveling uh, to, very, uh, to people from in China traveling to other parts of the world right now. So, uh, 
Anyhow, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We pray especially for Daryl's uh, wife's um, mother as she's uh, uh, recovering from uh, hip surgery. I pray you'd uh, help her, her body to heal and help uh, her uh, family to uh, be able to uh, rally around her and encourage her during this time. Pray for uh, the, the situation in China with all of the, uh, the flu that's going on. We're not sure what is all of that that is happening. We know that there are people that are, are um, stuck in certain locations. We know that there are people that are dying as a result of this, and so we just pray that um, your, uh, you would help Father the uh, uh, physicians and uh, people in uh, uh, laboratories be able to figure out how to help uh, people be able to develop a vaccine. Pray for the Rick's uh, business partner's daughter-in-law as she's uh, uh, recovering from uh, the flu over there in, in China. And again, pray that you would uh, guide and direct in each of our lives. Pray for Brad and Paul as they're, I think, in New York right now and as they continue to share the, the message of what's been going on in Tanzania, we just again ask your blessing on them and your guidance and direction in their lives. Help us now, Father, as we study your word. May the Spirit reveal to us what we need to know today that will help us, encourage us, and challenge us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's... Get started. We're going to be reading Philippians chapter 3. Let's start with verse 10 and go through the end of the chapter. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection.
Okay. All right. Uh, you know, I, I'm amazed at, uh, again, how we look at Paul in, in the beginning of this chapter, which we didn't bother to read this time. We see his spiritual biography, you know, uh, expounded, and now we're talking about what his present uh, situation is. And as we get to the end of the chapter, we'll be talking about his future relationship. But I, I find it in, interesting to note that uh, Paul is not telling us how to be saved here when he talks about all of these things. He's talking about uh, how uh, salvation is not a matter of works but a, or a matter of self-effort, but it is... Uh, it is important that we uh, that we strive for mastery, that we strive to win the goal, uh, and that we press on. Uh, each of us has a has a specific area, a specific track, a specific goal, a specific race, if you will, that we have to run. Your race is not ne necessarily the same as my race. Your goal is ultimately going to be the same thing, but how you go there, how you arrive there, might be totally different. Uh, God's got, uh, God knows what you need and what it, He needs to do to transform you into the image of His Son. And some of us have different paths that we're going to travel as we do that, but each of us has to look at reaching the goal. The goal is is the end product. The, the reward is, uh, is not losing our, our citizenship, but losing all of the, the rewards that we can get as a result, the crowns, if you will. Uh, one of the problems that we run into sometimes when we start looking at these is we think about, well, what if they what if I lose the race? Does that mean I lose my salvation? Is that what it means? A couple of you are going, no. I, I agree. I think it, it does not mean we lose our salvation. It means that we lose the rewards that we would have from our salvation. Uh, we're, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, uh, 8, 9, and 10, we talk about it's salvation by faith alone, but we're created to do good works. First Corinthians talks about the fact that our works are going to be put, are going to be tried. They're going to be tried in the fire. And uh, only works that, that are of gold and silver and precious stones are going to, are going to last those uh Things that we have that are of wood, hay, and stubble are going to be burned up. And, and that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. It means we lose our rewards. And this, what we're looking at here is how do we achieve that? Now, one of the problems we run into with, with that is, uh, uh, is we, we want to... Uh, achieve what God has set before us and it this takes an active 
commitment of a pursuit. One person uh, read the word pursuit, and uh, another one read the word press on, and um, and both of those are exactly the same. It's the, it's just the way that we translate it in in the English. It's the idea of stressing to achieve uh, the goal, uh, putting all of your effort into it. Have you ever been to a basketball game? I was listening to uh, sports radio on the way in. Actually, I, at first I listened to the passage of scripture we're going to be studying today. I always listen on the way in to make sure I okay, I got it in my mind. But I got done early and I flipped on a, a sports radio and they were discussing the Pistons game last night. And they said that they came... And they didn't play. They they didn't put any effort into it. And the result, obviously, is they lost. They lost against one of the teams that they should have won. They, they were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. And right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers are not the best team in sports. And they're, they're, this was a game that should have been won, but wasn't won. Why? Because they didn't put any effort into it. Our job is to put effort into the race that we have before us, whatever the event is. And our event, our sporting event, if you will, as Christians, is to re reach the prize, which is the high calling of God. And, and to reach the rewards that, that come as a result of that. And the problem so often today is that we just put a lackluster effort in. You know, I used to think, I used to love watching high school games and college games. I was always disappointed watching pro basketball because I felt like they really didn't do anything until the fourth quarter. You know, I could come, I could come late to a game and not miss anything until I got to the fourth quarter. Well. God wants us to put an effort in all of the way through, not just the fourth quarter. And so our problem is we need to figure out how we do that. Uh, we need to understand that our, our goal is to understand, uh, to understand fully, to use uh, the use of our mind to, uh, to make sure that, that we are not... Uh, just uh, striving for vainglory, but we're striving for what God wants us to strive for. Uh, our, our understanding is, there's two ways of understanding this, this first little passage here, in the sense we can look at it from, uh, from the mental sense of where Paul says in, in 10, uh, verse 10, he says, that I may know him. So there's the mental aspect of knowing, acknowledging knowing Christ and knowing his power to suffer. There's also another aspect of it, and that's the experiential sense, which is found in verse 11, that I might obtain. And uh, it's something, today, today, if we were talking to millennials, 
They want to experience stuff. They just want to know stuff. They want to experience it. Um, I have a daughter and son-in-law that uh, have saved, as I understand it, they've never told me how much they've saved, but they claim they've saved a lot of money towards eventually maybe someday buying a house. But in the meantime, they take trips all over the world. And I said, why are you doing that? I said, you know, my goal when I first got married, before I even was married, I bought a house first thing I did. And uh, they said, well, we want to experience stuff, so when we get old, we won't forget it. I'm thinking, take a picture. Um, <laughs> look at a video, I don't know. But they, they want to experience it, so they've been They've been all over the world. It just amazes me. The only place they haven't been yet is Africa. And I'm going, wow, how in the world can you, you know, but, but so there is a pair, there is a spot to which we want to obtain. We want to experience things. And, and God says, it's okay to do that. It's not enough just to know him, but to experience him as well. And, and that's, boy, that's awesome. Uh, this resurrection that we're talking about here is, uh, it it's easily explains why Paul has not attained, because he hasn't gotten, he hasn't been resurrected yet. You know? And, and number two, it's helpful to remember that in first century heresy, uh, there were a lot of people that believed that the resurrection was already passed. There was a whole group of Christians that believed the resurrection had already come, and they had been, and they had missed it. And and we don't believe that at all. Why? Because the only way that the resurrection happens is how Christ has to return. Christ has to return. And so uh, we have a problem in understanding that sometimes even first century heresy gets messed up. You know, I, I always thought it was interesting. I, was re I read a book one time, it was a Christian book, and it was set in the first century, and it was talking about some of the the believers, and they would get to, they, they were walking, Christians did a lot of walking, wasn't like they had uh, many of them could afford horses or chariots or you know whatever uh, uh, and if you were traveling over land you were, you were probably walking and I I can remember uh, this story talking about uh, one of the, the disciples reaching the top of the hill and standing there and looking and what are you doing looking so I'm, I'm just anticipating maybe Christ is coming back maybe I'll see him in the distance when was the last time we thought hey I wonder if the resurrection could be today could, could Christ come back today and, and I'll be honest with you a lot of times that, that doesn't even darken my the door of my thoughts. 
And yet, we're supposed to be anticipating that Christ could come back at any time. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing such a good job of, of anticipating and being prepared for when he comes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Not just being your Savior, but being the Lord of all of our life. Not just uh, a little part, right? You know, it, we've seen sketches here at, at Kensington in times past where, you know, we give someone, we give the pictures, we give Christ control of our life, we give him the, the, the driver's seat. And then we're constantly trying to take over the wheel. Um, take it back. You guys have been to my own bomb, right? Yes. It's beautiful, right? Yes. Not really. <laughs> you haven't seen much. Because you were in the bomb. I'll show you stuff going on. <coughs> Okay, so we're looking here at where it says, not as though I have attained. So what we have here is holy discontent. We have holy discontent. We have not obtained. We're not done. There's more to do, and Paul is anticipating that. It's sanctified dissatisfaction. That's the thing that we need in our lives. Is we need to be, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, 
I used to have a, uh, a sales uh, t a territory manager for a, a company that I, I repped years ago. And uh, he would uh, occasionally light a fire under me. You know, uh, in fact, uh, it, it was one of those deals that the, t the territory was, was such, that, or the, the company was such that we got paid a commission uh, from the company directly versus paying our company getting the money. Each individual got money, and, I, and as, a, as a young man, I wanted the same thing that my father had because Otherwise, I had to split the commission with my dad. So uh, I wanted this this territory. Well, there's a li there were a limited number of people that could have that could that could sell in this territory, and there was a manager that had. So he told me, he "says you have to finish college before I'll even consider giving you." Uh, your own territory, and uh, and I was you know because I was talking about well maybe I won't even go to college. I, what do I need to go to college for? I already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a salesman the rest of my life because that's what you know my my parents, my father has a business. I'm just going to go into business with him. And he said no no no. You finish your college and I'll guarantee you that you'll get you'll get a territory. And, um, but, uh, you know, he would, he would light a fire in me, and so as a result of that, every summer I would, uh, from the time I w went off to college, I worked, and I worked diligently, and there was a point in time when he had, a f he had w the largest uh, volume-producing territory in the United States, and there was a time when uh, one summer that my between my dad and I, we were the two top uh, salespeople for him, for that summer for those three months that I was home, uh, and uh, he, he 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 lit a fire in me because I wanted to make sure I got that. That promotion, I was not satisfied with the fact because he kept saying, "Well, you know, if you don't do well, we might not, you, you might not get it right out of college." Well, I got it right out of college, but I worked to make sure I got it. I had, even though I was promised it, I was promised that it could be a while before I finished school before I got it. But I worked my, I worked hard to make sure I got it. The result of that is I was dissatisfied with just thinking about I want to make sure I run and ran well and I finished the course so I got the prize. The prize was the territory. Um, I wish I could say I did that all the time. I didn't. But I did that particular point in time. And sometimes we're self-satisfied because we're busy comparing what we're doing with everyone else. You know, everyone else is not running necessarily the same race. And it's like golf. You're not supposed to 
compare yourself to everybody else, you're supposed to compare yourself to whom? Yourself. How are you doing against yourself? Are you doing better than you did the last time? Now, if it was me, I'd always do worse, but that's another story. So Paul does not compare himself to others. He compares himself with himself and with whom? Jesus. Which is always... I'm always going to fail, you know, just, just to let you know. I'm always going to fail when I compare him, but the, the, the idea here is, uh, uh, in verse 15, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but in verse 15, it talks about we're mature. Those who are mature, no one of the other ways of, of translating that is perfect, and perfect just simply means mature. In this particular passage, in the in the in the Greek, so uh, we're often told to make sure that we uh, uh, that we don't have a f- false impression or estimate of our own spiritual condition. We need to check with not with those around us to compare how they're doing, because you know some. Some of us have seem at least outwardly to have have it all put together, and others of us are looking at it going not so much. the The problem is don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to yourself. Are you further ahead in your spiritual walk today than you were yesterday, or a month ago, or six months ago, or a year ago? or two years ago, or five years ago. Where are you at? Are you making progress? Because you're supposed to strive and run all the way to the end. We, we talk about people who press on. We need to press on towards, do you know that it's, it, in this passage it says here uh, that we need to be careful of self-evaluation because we can sometimes think that we're better than ourselves. There are other times when we think that we're worse than we really are. And, and I think the, the issue here is to make sure that we keep pressing on. Don't worry about self-evaluation of the past. Press on towards the front. There's, a, there's, an, op, there's an opportunity to... to in the Greek, we talk about two things, sorry, anamnesis and prolipsis. And pro, uh, anamnesis is the past controlling our, our present. And so we think of things like the cross controls, you know, it, that gives us hope for the present. But the resurrection, the eternal life, the becoming fully like Christ to have to be glorified that's the future that's the prolipsis that's what should be driving us to strive for it when you're running if you're running a race they always tell you never look back why because you slow down what are you supposed to do forge ahead what do you do you strive all the way through the end you never notice how 
Runners, when there's a tape there, they stick their chest out and try to get across. They want to get the, whatever they can. That's the, the, you know, for me, it's, for some of us, it's a little easier because we just stick our stomach, you know. Our stomach <laughs> passes long before. But they stick out their chest to try to break the ribbon. Why? They want to go all the way through. They want to finish the course. And so there is a, this sense that in, in the second portion of uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 it says there's one thing there's one thing you know I love that I got thinking about this this week as I was studying this passage again and I got to thinking about the fact that there's one thing and Jesus talks about this several times he says to the rich young ruler after listening to him, he says, how are you doing with your spiritual walk? How are you doing this? Are you keeping the law? He goes, yeah, I'm doing all these things. He's, Jesus looks and says, there's one thing you lack. There's just one thing. And, and sometimes it comes down to one thing that we need to worry about. Martha is busy criticizing her sister for not helping in the kitchen, right? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. What does Martha, what does Jesus say to Martha? There's one thing that's needful. And Mary chose the one thing. There's one thing. Here, Paul says, there's one thing. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 27, one thing I've desired of the Lord, I want to know Christ. Paul says, there's one thing I want to do. There's one thing that you are designed to do and to accomplish. You know, D.L. Moody was a, did a lot of things, and he did a lot of things incredibly well. Um... He was involved in the Sunday School promotion. He created, he was one of the ones that kind of helped create the almost the idea of, of Sunday School, developed it in Chicago. He, he did a lot of work with the YMCA. He also did evangelistic meetings. After the Chicago fire, he made a conscious decision as, as important as all those other things were going to be, concentrate on one thing, and that one thing was evangelism. And the result of that is he shook this continent and the European continent for Christ. What what part of James? Yeah, I know that's the problem. It's all it's all right, and I I hate it. That's
Yes, it is. Very practical. So as we're running this race, one of the things you'll notice is it's very rare that you find uh, athletes that are good at multiple sports. Even if they are good, they're going to end up concentrating on one thing. They're, they're going to specialize. You don't find, uh, you know, somebody in the Olympics, it, it, it's rare. You occasionally have the decathlon where they're good at a lot of things, but that's the rare thing. Most athletes concentrate on one thing, high jump, long jump, running. Is it a sprint or a long race? You have sprinters. Sprinters are not good at marathons. You know, marathoners are not necessarily good at sprinting. So you need to sp you need to figure out what we're going to specialize in. Uh, in Nehemiah, uh, if you remember when we studied that, uh, the enemies of Nehemiah wanted him to come down and meet with them. And he says to them, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm busy specializing in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And until that's done, this is my goal. Uh, James says, as you were talking about, Giuseppe, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I hate that. I resemble it so often. So we're we're told to we're told to, to to be devoted to some. We're told that there's a particular direction that we're gonna go. An unsaved person is controlled by the past and but a Christian is running the race looking towards the future. We need a direction. The direction is to go towards God, to go towards eternity. To go towards the goal that God has set before us. Jesus says in Luke 9, uh, he talks about plowing a field. If you look back when you're plowing a field, do you get the rows straight? John, when you're busy putting the plow on your tractor, do you, you look straight ahead? Why, why do you do that? So you have straight rows. Otherwise, you'd be all over the place, you know. It'd be like me when I'm driving sometimes. Can't seem to stay in my lane. There, there's, a, there's an issue. We need to, it's important that we look at the past because the past helps to give us a, a sense of where we're going for the present. But the, after that, we need to realize that we put that aside and look to... Do you know how often we sit on our own laurel? 
Because we look back and say, I oh, man, I had a great life. Look at all the things I accomplished. So what? Are you done? It's one of the problems I have with, with people that want to retire. And yes, I'm looking forward to a day when I no longer have to work as hard as I work now, even though I don't work as hard as I probably should. I'm looking forward to the fact that I can concentrate more on doing the things that I want to do for Christ versus having to worry about making making sure that I have enough money to cover my bills. I'm hoping that that will take care of itself. When you retire, don't quit. Find something to do. Put your hand to the plow. You're not done yet. This could be the second half. This could be the third half. Maybe is it possible to have three halves? I don't know. Maybe in your, of your life, this could be what's next. God has a plan. You're not done. Yeah, yeah. So when it's not Christ, it's you. It's a Christ in you. 
So when Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, is it possible to forget? No, it's not possible. So what does the word mean when it says to forget? Does it mean just simply to fail to remember? Is that... Is God capable of forgetting in the sense that he fails to remember what we did? I'm sorry? He chooses to forget, okay? Okay. Okay. So we don't remember, we don't look to the failures of the past, don't look for the successes of the, the past, but I don't think it's just a matter of forgetting, because I'm not sure that any of us can ever totally forget. What I think the word means, though, in the, is it means no longer being influenced by whatever it was that would happen in the past. So that's hard to do. Some of us have a harder time than others. And, and one of the ways you can tell if you're no longer being influenced by the past is that when you remember whatever that is, whether it was good or bad, especially if it was bad, how's your blood pressure? Do you still get angry over it? Then you haven't, then you're still allowing it to affect you in the present. When, when you start to realize that you don't have to be influenced by what happened in the past, good or bad, and you're just looking towards the future and looking and, and striving towards the goal that God has set before you, that's when you're doing it. That's what God is, God's not suggesting you have a bad memory. You know, my, my father has Alzheimer's. He's definitely forgotten the things of the past. I mean, not only is it just the immediate past, but he doesn't remember any of the real far past anymore. He used to be able to talk about when he was in Korea or when he was, you know, in college or when he was in high school. Or, he, he doesn't remember any of that now. And that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about having a bad memory. We're talking about the fact that, it, that God no longer holds our sins against us. He has clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our, their sins no longer matter and no longer affect the standing that, that we have with God. It doesn't influence our attitude towards it. You ever notice that if you truly love someone, that one of the things that will hopefully happen is, you know, like if it's one of your children, you can get really angry at them, but you always end up loving them. You always end up caring for them, even when they do dumb things. You 
you sometimes want to go, <laughs> you know, your head smack. Yeah. So God wants us to simply break the power of the past by living towards the future, living into the future. Uh, but if, if Paul were to look at all of the things he did in the past, do you think that he would, would he wallow in misery? Look, you know, I was, I tried, I did all these works to the law. I ended up persecuting the church. I was involved in the murder of people that were Christians. Uh, you know, if that, if all he did was concentrate on the past, do you think, after having become a Christian, do you think he could have done all the things that he did? He might have used it to motivate himself towards it. You know, but he didn't just dwell on the past. He dwelt on the future. What is it I'm going to do? Uh, the events of the past did not change, uh, but his understanding of the, of the past changed. And so some Christian runners are distracted by success of the past and not by the failures. And that can be just as bad as being distracted by the failures. I failed the last time I tried this. I don't know if I can do it. Or, you know, I did it well last time. I, should, I, I, I can do it without, I don't need to train this time. Ever done that? Try to run a race, you know, after not training. Doesn't work. So the, the point is we need to press on. And, and he talks about this as this imagery that, that the athletic games are uh, were something that were really important in, in Macedonia and in, in Greece. The, the Olympic Games and, and just this whole idea of, of uh, athletic games uh, and, and it's in great that you have those. I, I have a neighbor that took me into uh, two rooms of his house. And I'm trying to make a, a, an impact and, a, and, and make a, a inroads into his life. Uh, this gentleman has was an amazing volleyball player. Uh, he was uh, uh, not only captain of his, of his college team and his league team, but he was captain of the entire country's volleyball team. They went to all sorts of, they went to Olympics and all kinds of other, you know, tests. And you walk into his house, he's showing you, well, this is what I got in China, and this is what I got in Japan, and over here is what I got when I was in, you know, in uh, uh, Saudi, or, uh, Saudi Arabia or wherever he was in the Middle East, or here's where I was in Greece. And he's got all these mementos, and he's concentrating all on the past. Nothing about the future. Nothing about what happened, what comes next. And I'm thinking to myself, my, my grandfather was that way. My grandfather retired. He was a worker. He worked for Ford for, I don't know, 40, 50 years. 
He retired, he never did another thing. He always cut his grass, you know. Occasionally talked about, complained about the uh, politics, but basically that was, that was it. He stopped living once he retired. I don't want to stop living. I don't think any, do any of you want to stop living? The only, I want, the only reason I want to stop living is I want to go home. I want to go home to Christ. So our goal is the, the mark, the, the end result is to look towards heavenward, to, to look up. And the determination is, is another thing. I press, I press on, I follow after in, in Philippians uh, 3.12. The, the, it's the, this kind of zeal, it, it, in the Greek, this idea of zeal uh, has the idea of a hunter who eagerly pursues his prey. Uh, it's the same zeal that, that Paul employed when he was persecuting the church is now the same zeal he's using to pursue the goal of godliness of serving Christ. He wants to make sure he serves it. I, he, there are two extremes. There are two extremes when you start talking about zeal. One zeal is, one, one extreme is, I have to do it all. I don't have to rely on God. I just have to rely on myself. I have to do it all. The other part of it is, God has to do it all. You know? The first describes an activist. The second describes a quietist, uh, a person. And in both cases, both of them are going to fail. Because one's going to do it in their own strength. One's going to rely everything on God. And I think it was... um, um, Oh, yeah. The... uh, Augustine, I think, I think is the one that quote, this quote comes from. He says, I have to work as though it, uh, it all depends on, God, on me, but I have to pray as though it all depends upon God. And, and that's, I think that's the balance. The balance is God has to do it. If God's in it, it's not going to happen. But God expects us to do our part. That's one of the, the, the potential problems of when you say it's all about God, God has to do it all. I can just sit back and wait. Well, you know, then you wonder why, why is it that my grass is never cut? Well, you know, God's going to take care of the grass.
Can you imagine if your quarterback in your football team were going to be seeing the uh, Super Bowl this, this next Sunday? And uh, you can just imagine the quarterback gets down on the field and says to the guys as they get as in the huddle, okay, guys, let's just let the coach shoot it off. We'll just stand here, and the coach will take care of it. We'll win the Super Bowl as long as we let the coach do his job. How, how, will that, how will that affect the outcome? Do you think they'll win? No, why? Because the coach has to do his job, but you have to do your job. You, you know, Jesus says that without me, you can do nothing, John 15. God works in us so he can work through us. God works in us so he can work through us. We're told to exercise ourselves unto godliness in, in 1 Timothy 4. And part of the problem I run into, I think, in, in all of our sakes, is that sometimes we're so busy dying to self that we never bother coming back to life so we can actually run the race. I think part of the, uh, someone once said there are five Gospels. Four of them will probably never be read by the uh, by a, an unbeliever, but one of them will be, and that 
mature life. How you doing? You know? How, how am I doing? I, I, I've had to, uh, you know, I started uh, a number of years ago, I started uh, tipping a lot better than I used to. Because I realized that, you know, sometimes people are just having a bad day. It isn't, sometimes it's not their fault that things go sideways. And if the only money they make is primarily their tips, you know, maybe I could encourage them by giving them a, a good word, an encouraging word, and maybe leaving just a little extra. Just to say, hey, I appreciate, you know, you tried. Whether they tried real hard or not. So part of the problem is sometimes we have people, Christians who are busy dying to self and they never come back to life to run the race. The other side of that is also true. Sometimes they're so sure of making their own way that they never stop to bother to read the word, to pray, or to ask for the power of God in their lives. I can do it all. I've become a super Christian all by myself. Does that work? I, I, I realize sometimes, like, oh, man, you know, I, I, I'll find a passage of Scripture and I'll think to myself, it's been a while since I've read this, this particular passage. Wow. I need to get back into reading whatever this book is, like maybe even James. Um... So God wants us to do stuff. He wants to, he got, and, and Paul calls us to unity. Take such, uh, take such a view of things. Be be like minded. Be involved in this. Be mature. We talked about mature is, is perfect. Is the word? It means literally mature. This is the same word that that um, uh, James talks about uh, being mature. Uh, you know, we need to con be concerned about that. Paul war warns us about about uh, misconduct. Uh, he talks about here, those of us who are mature should take such a view of things and that if not to some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. My goal is to press head, head onward to Christ, and the probability, the problem is often, I don't press hard enough. We need to make sure that we are disciplined in what we do. 
I'm reminded, and by discipline, it means we need to obey the rules that God gives us. There are rules in the scripture that, that God expects us to follow. You don't take shortcuts. You don't break the rules. If you do, you're going to be disqualified. Uh, think of uh, one of the greatest athletes of all times was in the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm. It's a guy you might remember. His name was George, uh, Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe was the hero of the game. I don't know how many uh, awards he won, gold medals he won that, that year. But they found out after the Olympics that Jim Thorpe had done one thing which I'm not sure if he knew that he had done it or not. I don't remember that much of the story, but he, he had ended up playing semi-professional baseball. And as such, it disqualified him uh, for amateur standing. Now, today that's a little different because now we have professional players, basketball players, baseball players, etc., hockey players that are playing for the uh, for their, their country. But back then it had to strictly be uh, uh, amateurs. And as a result of that, he was stripped of all of his gold medals, all of his trophies, and all of his Olympic achievements were erased from the records. That's a, that's a high price to pay for breaking the rules. But it is, it is an accurate thing that needs to happen is that you break the rules. You know, we're seeing that today in baseball. What, what happened today or the last few weeks in baseball? Yeah. It wasn't just, you know, somebody cheating. It was the entire team cheating, right? And it spread not only for the Astros, but also for Boston. And then there was another team that hired uh, one of the guys that was on the, the team. He ended up getting kicked off. Uh, uh, he had been hired as a manager, didn't even manage a game, and was already fired because he had been a part of the Astros. Was it the Mets? Mets. Why? Broke the rules. Now there's a whole bunch of people saying, well, what do we do? Do we strip them of their, you know, do we award it to somebody else? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you just strip them of their, you know, maybe they should take down their banners. What Jim Thorpe had to do, he had to give it all back, so maybe, maybe they don't award it to anybody, but maybe they, maybe they should take it away. Why? Because they broke the rules. How are we doing with the rules? Are we obeying? Remember, the issue is not that, that we're... Corinthians talks about the fact that any man who enters an athletic contest needs to practice self-control in training. Uh, athletes, if athletes break training, they're disqualified. He breaks the rules of the game, he's disqualified. 
Does that mean he's no longer a citizen of the country? Does that mean that Jim Thorpe lost his citizenship as a United States citizen? No. If you break the rules, does that mean you lose your salvation? No. Just lose your rewards. But that's bad. No, that's pretty bad. You know, we're all going to... We're not spectators. This Christianity is not a spectator sport. And too often, we want to grade the people. We want to grade the staff. You know, we hired them. We hired them to do the work of the ministry. So our job is to sit back and criticize, right? You know, grade them. Well, they do no, no, their job is to train us to do the work that we need to do. I always told the, the folks that when you're on stage and you're leading in worship, your job is to be a prompter of worship. Just like uh, when, when Shakespeare says, all the world is a stage, I tell them you're, Shakespeare got it absolutely correct. And our job is on stage is to prompt the people in the pews to uh, the people in the seats to worship, to lead them into worship, to remind them of the lines that they're supposed to say when they get stuck, to help them enter into the air, the idea of worship and the attitude of worship, and to worship the God of creation. And his son, Jesus Christ. Again, we don't, we, we, we read of history, we read a lot of people that lost their rewards but, but didn't lose their salvation. Think about Lot. Did, did Lot lose everything? Yeah. Why? Because he was disobedient. But did he, did he become a non-believer? No. What about Samson? What a screw-up. I mean, we, we studied, didn't we study the judges here? We studied the judges. Everything that that man did was pretty much wrong. All for the wrong attitudes, all for the wrong reasons. We're in good company, yeah. We're. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Acts chapter 5. You think that they lost their salvation? Oh, I don't think they lost their salvation. I think what they lost was their goal, the, the, all of the rewards they were going to get. Why did you lie to God? So our, our goal is to remain steadfast. Our goal is to look up to Jesus, to realize that Jesus is the one we need to be concentrating on. We need to live in, uh, we need to live, we need to, live means to live up to what we already have attained. It means the, our walk in other, was it in uh, Ephesians, I think it is, or Galatians, it talks about our walk of faith living up to what God expects to us. God expects us, but God knows we're not going to be perfect, by the way. I know some of you think that I am, but I'm really not. 
it's, it's a very disillusioning thought, isn't it? Some of you think you might be perfect, you know? You got it all squared away. That's not the case. This side of heaven, I'm never going to be perfect. And if you got an hour or two or five, I'll share with you all my mistakes, you know? Yeah, Rick. job is we need to live in a way that uh, that makes people desire what we have versus not. Sometimes it's a whole change in our attitudes about all kinds of things. I'm, I'm always disappointed. I'm, I'm disappointed with myself when I first was a younger, a younger man and, and been trained in a particular fashion that I thought the fact that because I was saved I was perhaps better than other people because God had looked on me favorably forgetting the fact that there was nothing I did to deserve what God did for me and that yes I'm I'm a believer and yes I have a new place and yes I have an understanding of where I'm going to be but it's not because of anything I did and that changes my perspective with other people around me 
because I realize that they have, they need something I have. And I need to make sure that I'm not stingy and keep it all to myself. I need to share it with others. And I need to be looking for ways to share it with others. So that I finish the course and finish the race and I attain the prize. The prize of the high calling of God. All right. Well, we've reached the end of our time together. We will finish three next week, Lord willing. We'll get it. The, the, the last pericope is 17 through uh, 21, so we'll, we'll make it. Who knows? We might even make it into four. But we're getting close. We're going to press on. Yes, sir. Thank you for saying that. We are going to press on. And then we will go into four, and then after that, we will be into Colossians is our goal. So, all right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for uh, dealing with our inadequacies and at times our failures help us to forget both the good and the bad that's behind us so that we can press on towards the goal that's ahead of us. We want to be worthy of the calling you called us to, to do. We want to strive with all of our being to fulfill the course you've set before us. May we run the race with joy and with anticipation of what happens at the end. And we ask that you'd help us to do so with just uh, an understanding that we are servants who are serving you that have been given this opportunity, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and how you care for us and love us. We thank you again for the opportunity to study your word, guide and direct us, keep us safe as we uh, journey from here, and we look forward to meeting again together in a week. In Jesus' name, amen.